Hi everybody, it's Gene Simmons. Listen, no bullying allowed on earth, period. If you get bullied or if you see somebody being bullied, tell someone. Stop them right then and there. Or tell me where they live. I'll take care of them. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, it's now time for part four of five of the top 50 albums of 2023 countdown here that we're doing on Rock Strikes 10, the official list. According to me, myself, and I, Joey, right here. And we are in the top 20 now. And we've had some great records on the countdown, but it's just going to go up and up and up and up. So getting us into the top 20 is this guy right here who made an appearance on the 2021 countdown with his previous album. This guy is on fire, man. And for a guy that's been putting out records professionally for like 35 years now, he seems to have... All the gasoline left in the tank, so I'm here for it. Keep putting out records, man. But yeah, coming in at number 20 is Jason Beeler, formerly of Saigon Kick. And a lot of things to celebrate about Jason this last year in 2023. There was a 30th anniversary of Water, which if you heard the 1993 countdown, I praised that album as well. And then we got in 2023, 30 years later, another record by Jason Beeler, and the Baron Von Bielski Orchestra officially, this album is called Postcards from the Apocalypse. I did note, looking through the credits right here, that Chris McLernan, also formerly of Saigon Kick, appears on this record as well. So that's exciting. A lot of bass players on here, actually. So it seems like maybe there was a different band for each song, or at least a good amount of the record. He kind of mixed people around. As opposed to, it seemed like on the previous album he was doing all the instruments himself. But he's still self-producing. And these are still really cool records to get into. I highly recommend a dive on recent Jason Beeler because he's at a creative peak right now. So good for him, man. Just a next level talent. So kicking off the show here today from this set album, Postcards from the Asylum. Did I say Apocalypse earlier? There was an album called that. But the, okay, sorry. This album is called Postcards for the Asylum if I said it wrong the first time. I will not fix that. I try to make this show as live as possible. So here you go. This is Jason Beeler with the song Heathens.
kicking off the show here today and getting us into the top 20 of the top 50 albums of 2023 countdown that was the great jason Bieler and the baron von bielski orchestra the album is postcards from the asylum and that was heathens off of that record and an album full of really really good songs that one sticks out a little bit for me but you should check out the whole thing his records are definitely meant to be listened to top to bottom so set aside the time and do that for him will you okay so this next one right here, number 19, and this was not on my radar at all at the beginning of the year, and further proof that podcasting does sell records. And I'm not saying that to big time myself and put myself over. I'm actually putting over my favorite rock podcast, and that would be Cobras and Fire. I talk about them a lot on the show. I go on the show as often as I can whenever they'll actually have me. I know I'm a bit much, but yeah, hey, thank you guys. But Back in, and I looked this up just so you wouldn't have to, back in March of 2023, Baco interviewed this guy, Steve Zing, who I confess I never had heard of before, despite the fact that he's been in the business quite a long time and been associated with some legendary acts, honestly. Definitely tied into the Danzig, Misfits, Sam Hain kind of family tree. This guy right here, Steve Zing, and he has this project out with his songwriting partner, Dan Tracy. The album is called Black 29. And I got to say, I don't know if I'd ever say this to his face because <laughs> he'd probably kick my ass. But I hate that name because even when it's spelled out, it just looks like a bad Twitter handle or something like that. So let me help you out here and help him out. It is spelled B-L-A-K-2-9. Black 29. One word. No C in the black. But... The good news is they have a really, really good album out right here. And I was not told to listen to this album or review it positively. It's just one of those instances where I really enjoyed the interview that he did with Baco. So immediately I was like, you know what? I'm going to go listen to this record because the sound bites really intrigued me. And I wound up going back to this record quite a bit. I got to say, as a production nerd, this thing is so well produced. I know this guy spends a lot of time in studios doing engineering and stuff like that, but... Some of the best drum sounds I've heard on a record is definitely on this album. Good, powerful drumming. And it's it was just really fun to listen to. And it really appealed to my, even my love of modern misfits and classic misfits kind of brain where it's heavy, but it's got a good melody to it. It's got some catchiness to it. So I really, really dug this record, man. The album is called The Waiting. Once again, it's by Black29. It's actually two random covers on this album. One is The Holly's Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress. I believe that's the name of the song. Yeah, that's a fun version. And I really especially liked their version of The Kinks Destroyer. I remember going, oh, that, that's, that's cool. I like this. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a reason. I really like this song already. But, man, fun, heavy record with a nice classic punk sensibility to it. So, yeah, I see myself doing a lot of repeated listens of this album like I did in the last year. So, check it out, man. Here's Black 29 from The Waiting, and this song is called Don't Mind the Pain.
Now, I mentioned the Danzig Association, and just with those vocals right there, it does kind of hit that right away. Like, I do get a Danzig feel off of it, but I don't think Glenn would ever put out an album that sounds like this, absolutely. And full confession, I am not the biggest Danzig guy in the world. I like some of his stuff, but most of it I'm kind of like, uh, you know, some good albums here and there, but I fell off really hard at one point. Anyway, but I do like that. And that appeals to the more Misfits side of things and, and stuff like that. So yeah, Black29, man. B-L-A-K-2-9. <laughs> Probably at B-L-A-K-2-9 on social media as well, if I had to guess. But all joking aside, let's get into this next band right here, who apparently started off as kind of a joke, gimmicky kind of band. And in their own words, and this is definitely a pun, they leveled up to something more than that in this year they have groans up and here's another one man the debut album by this band these damn kids man and they are hauling it i talked about health on the first part of this five-parter about how well they play with that real authenticity 90s style of music and i really like when people go for throwback and they sound like they could have hung back in the day and this band definitely could have been part of the classic hardcore scene back in the day and thrived and they're doing it here in modern times, probably when we need them the most, honestly. And I am not a super-duper expert or black belt or connoisseur of hardcore music, but I knows what I likes. Uh, but my brother Pete, Pete LaRussa, man, he was in some hardcore bands. And I know he likes hardcore music, and I know he really likes bands like Biohazard and stuff like that. So... I immediately heard this record and I sent it right over to him. I was like, dude, <laughs> you got to hear this. And I love that because it just makes me feel, it's got that junior high, high school thing. Like, oh my God, dude, dude, you got to hear this. And I had that moment. I felt like a kid again listening to this just with all the angst and everything. And I was like, man, and these guys are from freaking Europe. But you wouldn't know it. You would swear they were from the freaking five boroughs, somewhere real deep in the bad part of town listening to this it sounds like biohazard if billy was always the singer of biohazard and i saw the kerrang article where they compared him to biohazard and the hardcore side of the beastie boys and those are very spot-on reviews right there and in that same kerrang thing they said something to the effect of like uh we're not gym rats we don't like ufc and so why would we pretend to act like something we're not even though we're a hardcore band we're not trying to act all hard so yeah i kind of dig that stance and it's, you know, it's a new time. It's not the time for that kind of bullshit, macho alpha shit anymore, honestly. But you can play music like you have fucking balls that you carry around in a wheelbarrow. And these guys do, man. Grove Street, yeah. I told Pete, uh, these guys definitely know who the fuck he is. They grew up on his voice. <laughs> More on that later. But yes, Grove Street, man. And yes, if you don't get that reference, uh, they're named directly after the neighborhood in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, if you didn't know that. Some people may not know that, so yeah, I'm throwing you a bone here. But their debut album right here, Grove Street, the album is called The Path to Righteousness. Yeah, I get that reference too, by the way. But man, this thing's a motherfucker. You just throw it on and you're just immediately like, you just want to unbutton a few buttons on your shirt and just like go, yeah, yeah do that arm thing <laughs> yeah just go to a show and pretend like you're gonna get into a fight even though you don't get into a fight but you just get all your aggro out and i just love how authentic this band sounds and i keep going back to this record and i'm actually really surprised it's not in the top 10 but probably because it snuck up on me right at the end of the year so 
in this week that I'm recording, it probably should be higher, but hey, fuck it. But yeah, let me know what you think out there. And I want you to turn up the volume really high for this one because it's time for Grove Street. And this song is called Ulterior Motives.
So speaking of the Beastie Boys earlier, much as in the same way I got into the Cancer Bats through their video and cover of Beastie Boys Sabotage, I had a very similar experience in a different kind of way, but with the video for that song right there, Ulterior Motives, not Ulterior, Ulterior Motives. So watching that video, it's pretty damn funny. It's it's an old school punk hardcore fisheye lens video and it's got a lot of humor to it so I recommend a view of it and that'll hopefully get you even more enticed to go check out The Path to Righteousness. But yes, that was Grove Street and that song was called Ol Terrier Motives. So go check out that and check out the video as well. And with this next entry right here, kind of getting into the thing, I, I go back and forth with this man. I've often said this on my show, nostalgia's a motherfucker. It's a tough beast to slay. And when it comes to newer bands that really inspire me and I'm really happy for the fact that they exist and you want to take care of the next generation, at the same time, you want to take care of your elder statesmen. So I do a lot of inner juggling here when it comes to this. So I was just kind of looking over the list. And these next two artists, definitely all-time faves, veteran acts. And so coming in at number 17 right here is probably my favorite act of all time, Mr. Alice Cooper. And his album, Road, uh, upon my first listen, I was like, man, that's really, really good. And I probably, upon my initial listen, had it in my top 10 for the year, almost like locked in. Like, this has got to be in the top 10. Uh, Further listens dropped off a little bit. At the same time, I was listening to other stuff that I thought was better. But, man, I got to say, it sounds like I'm being down the record, but I actually enjoyed the record in full for the most part. There's a couple of songs on there I'd definitely cut out. And I don't think this is a concept record anyway, but it's kind of weird uh, the fact that Alice has had this super strong band, and I would always say it's the strongest band he's had since the original band, the actual original Alice Cooper group. But this current band right here, Ryan Roxy, Tommy Hendrickson, Chuck Garrick, Nita Strauss, and of course Glenn Sobel, finally got to do an entire record with Alice. Yay! It's like the fact that it has to be a concept for them to even get on the record is absurd and just to record the whole record with them and write with them and stuff like that. And that being said, Bob Ezrin's going to Bob Ezrin still at this point. And I love Bob, but he might be a little too long in the tooth to approach some of these projects with the same kind of extreme care and quality control that he used to put into these things. But all those criticisms aside and the fact that a couple of the songs I was like, eh, about or like the jokes don't work. Road overall is an enjoyable listen as an Alice Cooper fan. It is leaps and bounds above Detroit Stories, which is one of the worst Alice Cooper records. So the fact that he rebounded really hard with this one. So there was a lot for me to love about this album on principle, but I've still gone back to it a handful of times. And uh, for a fan of Alice, you got a ton of options out there as far as records to listen to by him. But this is on the top side of things from 21st Century Alice. So, and, and while I will criticize other guest spots on this album, I would never criticize Kane Roberts getting a cameo on this record because Kane's actually been in the band before and he played on a couple of albums. So I actually dig the fact that Kane got to be on this record because supposedly they recorded this album on the road as well. And so they might have done this at the time when Kane was actually in the band once again for a brief period of time. And I got to see that. And I was very excited to see Kane again because Kane is absurd, but I love him. He's such a rock star. But yeah, and he could still play, dude. But yeah, Road's a fun record. Don't take it too seriously. Why would you go into any Alice Cooper record trying to take it even remotely seriously? 
Rhoda's just a fun, dumb record about being a fun, dumb band on the road. So, yeah, what else could you possibly say? Uh, Right now, this is my current favorite song on the record, and I think the best handshake for people to maybe get enticed to listen to it. So, to represent the album Road, this is the Alice Cooper Band. I love to say that. And this is The Big Goodbye. Coming in at number 17 right here on our top 50 albums of 2023 countdown. That was the man, the living legend, Alice Cooper. 
and his great band right there. And that was the big goodbye. I was looking to see if there was anything interesting to say additionally about the song. But no, the, the song was just written by Alice and the band and Bob Ezrin. And I love to see those credits on an Alice album, especially on a consistent level. They pretty much all write that entire record. The weird credit on this that I noticed when I first listened to it and I did my first pass on the vinyl there. I was just kind of looking through and seeing if they were sticking to the story of the band playing on there. And they did. Yes, they did. The weird part is that opening track on the album, I'm Alice, the one that they launched the album with. One of the co-writers on that song is Key Marcello, who I haven't heard that name probably in 35 years or something like that. Key Marcello used to play guitar in Europe. So that name just kind of came out of nowhere. So I don't know how he got involved with this. I don't know if this was something he had laying around or at least the guts of it. I don't know. I know he's credited on there along with Alice and Ryan Roxy on the song. So the only other real like thing that I would have done as an armchair producer for this album, I mean, yeah, I would have changed quite a few things, but the thing I would have insisted on is when they did the re-recording, the, the new cover version of Road Rats, which is a song from the Lace and Whiskey album originally, I would have made a point not only to pay tribute to Dick Wagner on there, but also have Steve Hunter come in and play something on there. Uh, that would have made total sense, and that would have been a nice nod to the fans as well. So th there you go. That's what I would have done with that. But all right, there you have it. Alice comes in at number 17. I don't think Alice would be upset about being one less on the countdown from this band right here. It's good company to be in. And yes, at number 16, it's time for the Rolling Stones. Yes. Come on, you knew the Stones were going to be on this list. Did you hear the record? This album is real fucking good. Of course it was going to be on my countdown. Stones haven't put out original material since A Bigger Bang, and even though I did like Blue and Lonesome, that would be an odd and end once I get to that year. I was like, how, how many studio albums is this? And I'm not on the wiki page, but I did sort of a rough count just now before I recorded this segment while the previous Alice song was playing right here. So counting what I have as far as proper studio albums, they're at least in the over 30 department of official studio albums. And I guess that's if you count Blue and Lonesome and some other stuff, which, yeah, it, you should count if it's a full-length studio album, despite the fact that it's a covers album. But, okay, all semantics aside, I mean, it's probably like well into the over 100 official releases by the Stones, including all those great archived live albums that they have coming out with the DVD combos and the Blu-ray combos. They're all great, and they just keep putting them out, and I keep wanting to buy them all, and I buy some of them, and I need to buy them all. But anyway, back to the main idea here, Hackney Diamonds. The other thing that makes it really, really good, and this needs to be said, I was talking to this guy that I met recently just hanging out in, in the record store, uh, this guy Ian, and he used to live out in England, and now he lives out here, and he's also one of the only people in Texas besides me, who knows about the Wild Hearts. So he's the man. So we have these really highly impassioned conversations about music and the state of music and just random stuff that you talk about when you have mutual interest. But yeah, I, I loved it. He was really going on about this. And we were talking about this kind of in the same thing about the Aussie records. And of course, that brings up Andrew Watt, who's the producer of Hackney Diamonds. And he's like, Stone should have done this a long time ago. You got to work with a producer who is under 40 that is a fan 
because they will find the best things about you and stuff like that. And it's like, yes, this guy is under 40, Andrew Watt. And yes, that's why a lot of these people are leaning on him because he is a good producer. He has a pretty good sound. He understands what it's like to be a musician because he is one. So it just makes sense. And that's why he's one of the hot producers of the time. Some people out there, before all this happened, I know there was a lot of people campaigning for Jack White to start producing Stones albums, to which I say, that's a really good idea too, but only if you're going to do like an all blues album or all blues covers album like that, because that way Jack would have you just record a mono and then just turn the mics on and have you do your thing. And that's still a dream project. I think they could do that still, but... If you're going to make a big-sounding rock album, then bringing Andrew Watt in was a really, really good idea. And I must be into his sound and think he is pulling miracles at this point because I believe this is his third or fourth album in the last two years on these countdowns. So, yeah, good on you, Andrew. So all the other pageantry that's normally associated with a big Stones release because they don't do it every day. And this really is the first time that they've leaned on having a handful of guest stars on the record and really promoting that fact. And while it's usually more on the classic side of things, I guess some people weren't really happy that they had like Lady Gaga on there, for instance, to which I say she's a damn good singer. And if you're going to do a male-female duet vocal, then yeah, they're going to want to bring on somebody with a name. But I think having that name attached to the record will not age badly. So there. And I, that song, Sweet Sounds of Heaven, you got Lady Gaga on there, but you also got the Stones just killing it musically. And then plus you got Stevie Wonder just throwing down the piano. That thing is an epic track. And I will say, those last two songs on the album, that song and the Rolling Stone Blues, the Muddy Waters cover, uh, hearing those two songs on my first pass of the album, I immediately said, this is going to be the last Stones record. And they're already saying this isn't their last album, but I'll, to that I'll say, I don't mind if I'm wrong about this, guess, but man, there may not be a better note to go out on than those last two songs on the album because you take it to the extreme epic balladness of that song, and it is really good. Even as a Stone song, it actually works. It's up there with any of their other epic ballads, and that should be saying something. But then, like, you just go all the way back to the first album, basically, and do the Rolling Stone blues. To me, that's coming full circle, so maybe you don't need to do anything else after that. But there, that's, that's what I think, and I won't be upset if they put out another record. I just hope it's on the level with this if they choose to do that. So, yeah, there's my uh, 50 cents right there. There's my time in my opinion, about the Rolling Stones. So, yeah, I'm just glad that they didn't put out a product that would embarrass fans, and this thing is of high quality. So I say get it. And I made a solemn promise to myself that if the Texas Rangers won the World Series this last year, that I would go ahead and plunk down on the Texas Rangers vinyl variant of Hackney Diamonds. And if you didn't know what was going on, if that sentence made no sense to you, then you should go check it out. If you're not on the vinyl thing, they've got a variation of that album for every Major League Baseball team. And then I think they have some for the football clubs in England as well. And then in addition to all the other ones with the regular cover on it, that have like the clear versions and the color versions and just the regular black version. More variants of this album exist than any other album that's ever been released in history. So yeah, that, that's a 
that's quite a historical release right there. But I got the Rangers version because they are the World Series champions, and we're very proud of them. So, yeah, that's the copy I'm going with, and I love it. It sounds great, by the way. So that's another reason why you should get it, and you probably should get it on vinyl. All right, let's get to the damn music, huh? I'm not even going to tell you who's on this track. Let's leave it to a little bit of mystery if you don't know or if you haven't heard this record. But out of nowhere, Stone's coming in with one of the heaviest, if not the heaviest song that they've ever put out. So check this one out. It's called Bite My Head Off.
right, Stones right there with Bite My Head Off from their new album, Hackney Diamonds. Like I said, that's got to be one of the heaviest Stones songs ever. That's right up there to me with Neighbors and Respectable, uh, that kind of stuff. It, it gives me that feel, and I really, really like that. Those are from great albums right there, those songs I referenced. But yes, the lineup of that song, and there's a bunch of different lineups that play kind of on this. Of course, the main principal players on this record are Jagger, Richards, and Wood, of course. Uh, Keith and Ron Wood share the bass guitar duties on this album. And then they're using Steve Jordan. The, their new drummer, Steve Jordan, plays on most of the album. Steve's got a lot of pedigree with the Stones as far as the family tree goes, so I'm glad that he got the gig. He was the, as far as I know, he was the only drummer for Keith Richards and the Expensive Winos, so it makes sense. You can never replace Charlie, but at least they got somebody that understands Charlie's stuff, at least. And there's a song on the album called Live by the Sword, which is the only production appearance by their longtime producer, Don Was. So they didn't cut ties completely with Don. I guess this was an earlier session, but if you're interested, that particular song is an actual reunion of basically the original lineup, of course, sans Brian Jones. But that song actually contains their original rhythm section on there. So not only do you have Charlie playing on it, it's one of the two songs he plays on the record, but Bill Wyman, they brought him back for that one song, which I, I don't agree with. I'm not a Bill Wyman fan because he's not a good dude. Uh, if you, you Buyer beware if you Google that guy. But anyway, all right. But yeah. Hey, I could be long-winded and we could talk about the Stones all night, but I'll just say yes. It's a very high-quality record. You should own it. Okay, so yeah, what number are we up to right now? Okay, 15. Yes, I, I lost track for a split second there. Plus, by the way, if you work a job that requires you to solicit door-to-door, -door, uh, get a real job. <laughs> Seriously, get a real fucking job. Because I lost my place because I had to go answer to some of these dildos and tell them I got a no soliciting sign that's in the mail right now. We just crossed paths here. But good fucking God, get a new job. Get a real job and stop fucking up my show. Okay, all right, get off my lawn. Number 15 right here. Uh, as, as I do the old man thing, I'm going to get into new band territory. I, I don't quite have an AARP card yet to get Stones tickets, and nor do I qualify, thank God. But let's talk about some newer bands right here. So coming in at number 15 right here, a really fun band that I think has made a couple of countdowns recently, if, at least one, I believe. But really fun band right here, the Razor Bats. Cool, like, glam, sleaze, punk kind of band out of Norway. And they got a super fun record out here from 2023 called Hit Crazy as in H-I-T, as in Greatest Hits, Hit Crazy. And they just go for the song and the melody and the good times. So what else is there to say? I think this will tell you all you need to know about the Razor Bats if you're unfamiliar, which means you're a decently new friend of the show. So I hope you dig this. Here is the kickoff track from Hit Crazy. This song is called Maybe It's Time to Break Up the Band. <laughs> Oh, 
Razor Bats right there. And by the way, when you go look them up, it's just one word, Razor Bats. That was Maybe It's Time We Break Up the Band from their latest album, Hit Crazy. And coming in at number 14 right here is a band that I was actually a little embarrassed that I did not know of this band's existence until this year for their second album. So that may not seem like a big deal to you, but I should have known about this because I'm such a fan of the lead singer of this band. This is kind of a new full-time slash side band for him and his regular gig because this band features the lead singer of Refused, the great Dennis Lixon. And so this band is called Fake Names. And the rest of the band is rounded out with some guys, honestly, that I, I don't know them by name, but a couple of articles that I read about them said that all the other members of the band have ties to Ian MacKay and have been in different bands with him over the years. And they, they play in some other bands as well, like Bad Religion and Girls Against Boys and stuff like that. So I thought that was really cool. And then you throw in Dennis on top of it as the lead singer, and that's a can't miss right there. And the band definitely delivers upon their pedigree. Thank Lemmy for that. But yes, Fake Names, they're on their second album here after their self-titled debut, which I guess, in fairness, the reason I didn't know about this band is because their first album came out literally in 2020, and shit was a bit weird at that point. They didn't tour, obviously, so who was to really know about this band if you didn't know exactly to follow them? But here in 2023, they're on their second full length called Expendables. And just a killer strong record right here. I'm actually a little weirded out that it didn't make the top 10 because it is that good, I believe. So let me know what you think of this. So yeah, check out Fake Names. And here's a song to hopefully get you enticed. This one's called Damage Done. <laughs>
Apparently I'm a fan of really high energy, highly motivating type music. And that to me is what this is. Fake names from the album Expendables. That was Damage Done. I hope you enjoyed that. Oh yes, and we're going to keep this kind of mood going with this band right here who has now completed their first decade as a professional rock and roll band. And they've done it with just two people. Talking about Royal Blood. Uh, For me, this band just keeps getting better and better. So I like that. I like that even though they don't have a bad record per se, I just like that every time they put a record out, I like it a little bit more than the previous. And, And that is the way it should be, man. So good on you, Royal Blood. You just climbing the charts for me. This latest record of theirs, their fourth album called Back to the Water Below. And listen to this one fairly recently on a walk and just man you just you get that swagger you get that thing motivation like i said they're just a really fun band they got that bounce so yeah i don't even know what else to say about them i just want to play the track right now so i'm just going to do it so here is royal blood and a real standout track from back to the water below this is shiner in the dark Shake the 
right. There you go. Some royal blood for you right there. The best duo in rock right now. And they've got a lot of competition, honestly. But I think overall they are the best duo in rock. I actually have one more duo coming up in the top ten just because I like the album as much probably as this album. It's not too far away. But anyway, stay tuned. It's a nice teaser for the next episode. But we move on from a duo to a trio right here. And I didn't see this one coming either. But uh, in a band that I, I am really ashamed of myself that I didn't pay much attention to when they were out, and I only discovered them over the last handful of decades since they had broken up. So I was a little late to the game. But because I had gotten so much into the solo albums of Butch Walker, did I really hang my head in shame at my lack of interest about Marvelous 3 back in the day. So, yeah, man, Marvelous 3, out of nowhere, seemed to get back together. And they had played some reunion shows on and off over the last couple of decades, but they made a real go at it this year and put out a True Blue reunion album called Four, in the sense of the Chicago Roman numeral. But the fact that it's called Marvelous 3, 4, I did giggle about that. You can only have one chance to do that in your career. So I say take that shot. But yes, 4 is a super tremendously fun record. And as someone who is familiar with the material now that they've put out, this is a very high-quality reunion album. Even if you're not familiar with Marvelous 3's catalog, if you've enjoyed the stuff that Butch has been putting out for the last 20 years, then this is an easy transition to get into because it does feel like a follow-up. Obviously, it's a little more power pop than his solo stuff uh, because his solo stuff, while they are rock albums, they tend to be a bit more singer-songwriter fair. Like I said, like high rock end, Springsteen level type stuff, Jesse Mallon type stuff. There's still a lot of rock leanings, but with this, he's got the full-fledged rock band going on here. So this could be someone's favorite album of theirs that he's ever done. And I totally might have to agree with that. This one may be as high up as Stay Gold for me. And if you listen to last year's Countdown, you know I really enjoyed the Glenn record as well. Go back and check that one out. But yes, man, get into this record. If you didn't know Marvelous 3 was back, or if you didn't even care the first time, you need to care now because this album is great. This is a song, actually, that I had just forgotten about. I'm going to do a rare thing that I normally don't do on these countdown shows. I'm going to play you a cover song from it because the handful of songs that kick off the record, super strong, super catchy. But this one also grabbed me in a different way, and I was like, this one sounds the least like the rest of the album, but it's still very catchy. And so I was like, what is it about this song? And then I realized it definitely was something from my past memory because this is actually a song by this really cool old school kind of new wave power pop band from late 70s, early 80s called The Producers. And they just did this song on the record and I've just been kind of listening to it a lot. So everything about it's great. It's a catchy song. It's got a fun song title attached to it. So I was like, you know, I'm going to put that on the countdown because in the chance that you've heard some of the other songs off of this, this one is towards the end of the album. I think it's the second to last song, but it's a highlight for me. So from Marvelous 3's 4, this is She Sheila.
Alright, there you go. That was Marvelous 3 from 4. That was She Sheila. How could you not enjoy that? Damn it, if you do not like a song like that, then you are in the wrong fucking house. So get out. No, I'm just kidding. You should stay and maybe learn something. Okay, so coming in at number 11, interestingly enough, this is the band's 11th full-length studio album. I was going to say probably the biggest rock band in the world. After the Stones, let's say that. I'd say the biggest rock band in the world after the Stones. And they're a lot younger than the Stones, but they're not super young anymore. But talking about the Foo Fighters right here, this album is really, really good, despite the fact that it is a sad fucking record, especially if you're a lyric person. Oh, my God. Even if you're living under a rock, you would know that there's been a lot of bad things that happened to the Foo Fighters in the last couple of years. Of course, we lost Taylor Hawkins. If you didn't know, Dave Grawl also lost his mom. And I've heard a lot of stories about Dave and his relationship with his mom from him and his mom ever since he's been a rock star. And they seem to have like one of the best relationships I actually took Dave's mom's passing really hard, too. I know that sounds weird, but both passings, terribly sad. And what else could you do, man? Dave put everything he had as far as his morning and his reflection going into this album called But Here We Are. Perfect title right there. And I'm, I'm glad he made this record. It wasn't going to be easy for anybody, including the listener. I don't mean to sound selfish when I say that, but you, you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, we get Dave back on the drums, but at the same time, it's like, man, <laughs> have you ever approached an album being like, man, I wish you weren't the drummer on this because we'd be living in a better world if you weren't. That's kind of weird. I, I thought about that a lot. Every time I listen to this album, which has been a lot, I thought like, man, I don't think there's a single album that's ever going to exist again where people are like, man, I wish Dave wasn't playing the drums on this one. <laughs> yeah. And I did a whole episode on how happy I was that Josh Freeze has the gig now with Foo Fighters. But none of that really matters in the grand scheme of the record itself. Josh doesn't play on this record. He's going to be the official new drummer of the band and do the tours and probably play on the next album if I had to guess. I don't know. I'm, I'd be interested to see if he actually does. We know Josh fucking rules as a drummer, but you know, people do want to hear Dave play the drums. I don't know. I'm just speculating. I'm I'm skip shouting here but i will say once again this is a very very good album you probably have to be in a certain frame of mind to really go into it top to bottom and talking about his mom that tribute he had her on the record the 10 minute epic the teacher that thing is something else man and i was really tempted to just play that on the show but you really need to experience it uh, in the context of the entire record so i'm going to go with this one right here this was literally we're getting to the point where you just throw a dart and whatever hits is what I'm playing. <laughs> so a little bit more personality than that. But you, you see what I'm saying. I could have played anything off this record. And it would have represented the album properly. So here you go. Here's the Foo Fighters and Under You. Just like 
such a classic familiar sound right there and they really deliver on that that was the Foo Fighters with Under You from But Here We Are so yeah big ups and all the respect and love to Dave and Pat Chris, Nate and Rami man I just I wish you guys the best and I'm really rooting for Josh so yeah I, I look forward to seeing what the Foo Fighters do next time around I got a feeling they're going to fucking rock the house on the next one in a different way so I, I don't know if I would predict a Wasting Light 2, but that would be something. We'll see what happens. Okay, but that's a prediction of mine. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. In my opinion, there's a lot to love about these episodes. Hopefully you got into some new stuff that you hadn't heard of before. So let me know how you're feeling out there. And of course, coming up, we've got the top 10, the 10 big bad ones of 2023. It's going to be a lot of fun. So please join me. Till then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs, followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at rockstrikes 10 and the direct email is rockstrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have Rock Strikes 10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.
Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. To hell with it.